Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE30. So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE30. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hello and welcome to the Irish History Podcast. My name is Finn Dwyer and this is A Thousand Years From Home. No matter where you are in the world now, the stress and difficulties that COVID-19 has placed on our lives is undoubtedly affecting you in some way. So I thought a bit of escapism might be in order. In this podcast, I'm bringing you to explore some of the great history and historic places near my home in Kilkenny City. Now, COVID-19 related restrictions mean I can only walk within two kilometres of my house, but there's some amazing places we're going to see. Over the next 40 minutes or so, we'll cover about a thousand years of history, starting in a 19th century asylum, working our way down through medieval streets, visiting the grave of a historic dog, taking in a medieval hospital, a famine graveyard, and then finishing with the story of a forgotten hero. Now, before I kick off, I want to say thanks to the patrons of the show, as always, who are essentially the producers behind the Irish History Podcast. Without their support, I couldn't do it. If you want to support the show and get the bonus content available only to patrons, including a new weekly bonus series on medieval life, check out patreon.com forward slash Irish podcast. That's patreon.com forward slash Irish podcast. Finally, I want to say thanks to everyone who participated in the quiz last Saturday. It was a great success with over 300 people involved who gave generously to the Matter Foundation. I understand lots of you weren't able to participate on the night for one reason or another, so I'm going to record the questions in podcast format and you'll be able to test your knowledge on a self-correcting quiz that'll be available online. That'll be available probably next Friday. Now, let's kick off the show. Now, I've actually just arrived very close to the first stop, which is the Kilkenny District Asylum, which was built during the famine. And this is a really, I suppose, severe, dour, imposing building. I think it would speak to anyone, if you didn't didn't know anything about the history of this building and you came here, I think you'd have a sense of what it was, or certainly you'd know it was an institution, and a Victorian institution. The history of this building, I, I suppose, 
is I wouldn't say tragic, but it's a, it's a sad history. This was built just after the famine. It had actually been commissioned from 1846 as part of a network of asylums to be built across Ireland. And this was completed in 1852. It cost £23,000 at the time. And after the famine, there was certainly a sense, and this would continue right through the 19th century, that insanity was increasing in Ireland. At the time, it was not fully understood. And some of the things that they talk about in terms of insanity, we wouldn't even think had anything to do with mental illness, and it doesn't indeed because of our better understanding. But um, certainly the famine, just at this point when it was built, seems to have affected people psychologically in Ireland, quite understandably. People had witnessed and experienced horrific things. And I did find in just preparing this podcast, I found an article that was called Lunacy in Ireland, and I tried to explain why there was an increase in the numbers of people coming to places like asylums in need of help. And this article just referenced that Ireland was a faction-torn, fever-struck and emigration-abandoned island. And there's obviously there's truth to that, and what they're referring to there, maybe in an oblique way, is the famine. Now, people who'd find themselves here, though, you'd have to wonder how much they were being treated. And there's certainly a sense, being here, they're actually coming here to be kept away from society rather than them themselves being helped. It's an unusual building. It has two very odd towers on either side. It's symmetrical. The windows are narrow. It faces unusually. The front of the building faces away from the road, looking out on the river valley below it. But it's very much orientated away from Kilkenny City. It's at the edge of the city. So there's an idea that people here are being isolated, kept away from wider society. So the people who you'd find here in the 19th century are people who don't really need mental help at all. So like I found a report from the 1850s about the people who were, uh, I suppose incarcerated might be a word, who were incarcerated here. They included what were called at the time, and it's a word that was used then, five idiots. I don't really know specifically what that refers to. Then there's 10 epileptics, just people with epilepsy would have been uh, brought to asylums. There's 25 people who they say are probably curable mania. That's probably just depression, I would imagine. And then 84 probably incurable cases. Now here in the asylum, I think we probably all had this idea of somewhere like that horrific asylum, Bedlam. It probably wasn't as bad as that from what I could read. The, the asylum was set on quite large grounds. Patients, if they could, would go out and be involved in agricultural work. Inside there was a laundry, which was a much obviously a bleaker place to have to work but there was cooking, cleaning, knitting, things like that so they would try and keep people active which would have been obviously important through the 19th century though the cases, what's striking is that the cases of insanity or what are deemed at the time insanity rises really fast so in 1851, just at the end of the famine one in 657 people in the population were deemed to have had mental illnesses by the year 1901 that had increased to 1 in 178. So that's a stark increase there. It's dropped from 1 in 657 to 1 in 178. Now, a figure like that really begs the question what's going on. And I kind of delved into it a little bit more. And I found a somewhat bizarre report from 1892. It was a commission that investigated insanity. And kind of questioned this issue. Why has Ireland got this really, what seems to be a very serious problem with mental illness in the 19th century. And there's some really bizarre ideas forwarded in this. In one place they say that people are drinking too much tea. When they talk about Kilkenny, I'm gonna to have to quote this for you. When they're talking about Kilkenny, they blame it on, in this district, the only point, especially dealt on, as likely to have influenced the number of insane treated in the asylum, 
is that of marriages of consanguinity. That's basically marrying your cousin. In the southern part of the district, it is stated that a very large number of relatives intermarry and it is observed that there are more admissions from that than the northern section of the district. Obviously, this is like, I think, prejudice about Irish society and about rural Irish society at the time. That's not what's going on. What they do raise in this report, which is very interesting, though, is they raise the issue of emigration. And they say that emigration is leading to the increasing numbers of people who find themselves in these institutions. And the reason that emigration is leading to increasing numbers of people in asylums is that what would have happened previously was probably a much more caring regime where people would have looked after maybe family members, brothers, uncles, aunts, their children with mental illnesses at home. But because large numbers of people and younger people are emigrating, these people have nowhere to turn and they end up in asylums. And asylums, certainly by this point, appear to be becoming what they were in the 20th century in Ireland. And it's a really horrific, bleak way of using them, but they were kind of used as uh, dumping grounds for people who were unwanted in society, that they'd be sent to places like this. As I mentioned earlier, it faces in off the road and they were seen as a problem that society wouldn't have to deal with and it could be locked away. And what's a worrying indication of what life in the asylum was like, and it's probably a reflection of this fact that it's becoming a dumping ground uh, for people who can never really leave, is that the population of the asylum in 1901 was 441 people and there had been 37 deaths that year. That's a death rate of over 8%, far higher than it had been in the early years of the asylum. Now, 11 people had died from TB, 9 had died from influenza, but there seems to be a very high death rate. And what it probably is, is that there's large numbers of older people essentially being dumped here. They would have been cared previously by a generation who are now in England, in America, unable to look after them. The idea of the places like these, these district asylums, were this almost dumping ground of Irish society, would become even worse after independence. The numbers here in Kilkenny reached a peak in uh, 1939 when there was 550 people in an institution that had originally been built in the 1850s for just 160. Now at the back of the building there is a series of um, extensions but not enough to cater for a fourfold increase. Ireland in the 1950s, as far as I can remember the year was, but around the 1950s had one of the highest rates of incarceration in, in institutions like this anywhere in the world. Like That's per head of population. And it was only in the 1980s where Ireland starts to change its approach to mental illness and you start to get, I suppose, what's called a deinstitutionalization that the idea that people should be cared for in the community, that mental illness should not be stigmatised in the way it had been. And these people are no longer being sent into institutions like this one here. But uh, that's the first stop. Next, we're going to go to somewhere completely different. I'm going to go down and bring us into an old ruins down on the River Nore and we'll explore what was one of the major mills that operated in Gilkenny in the 19th century. Now I'm walking over the River Nore, and the River Nore is the feature of the landscape that brought people to Kilkenny in the first place and kept them here for a thousand years. It's probably only in the last century that the importance of the river to life in Kilkenny has diminished. The reason I've come down here is to visit an old ruin that's about a kilometre and a half outside the uh, original city and this is what was known as Fennessy's Mills and I'm going to pick up the story when I get down to the mill.
you might be able to hear the river north it's just to my left but as I'm walking down here, I'm coming down through an area that's referred to in Kilkenny as the canal. And a lot of people who visit Kilkenny are maybe a bit surprised by this because the city doesn't have a canal as such. But as I'm walking down here, there's lots of waterways and um, that have been cut into the landscape that are diverting water from the Nor. And these were constructed to power what was at one point a lot of mills along the riverbank. And if you'd come to Kilkenny in the 19th century, it would have had a much more industrial feel than it does today. Today, I suppose, a lot of its history has been stripped back, for want of a better word, and it's much more medieval in feel, or at least what we think is medieval in feel. But in the 19th century, I think it would have had a much more industrial feel. And I'm just approaching here what was Fennessy's Mills. Now, Fennessy's Mills is a building that's in the middle of trees. It's a total ruin today. It looks like it might have even, at one point, suffered a fire. I'm going to go inside the building and inside this building, you get a sense of how big Kilkenny's industry would have been once upon a time. Well, this was a sawmill. There was the Ormond Mills. And then on the other side of the river from the Ormond Mills, the Lacken Mills, and further up the river, several other mills. And these would have been the centre of an industry in Kilkenny that would have employed thousands of people in the early 19th century and late 18th century. The architecture of them is actually beautiful. Sadly, they're totally... Uh, in ruin today this building has nothing inside it there's trees growing up it but you can still see the amazing architecture of where they cut channels of water and diverted them through the middle of the building and these would have powered the big water wheels that would have powered the saws conditions in these mills were pretty appalling i was looking through newspapers and you see i wouldn't i don't want to overstate it but frequently enough references to horrific accidents and we're talking about the 19th century and 19th century industry where labour law and labour protections simply didn't exist. So you've got people working in mills that are extremely dangerous. There's not, you know, like in terms of safety, doesn't, isn't really factored in. Uh, the primary thing, I suppose, is speed and productivity. And there's uh, an expendable workforce. Now, Kilkenny's industry totally almost ceases to exist, I suppose you could say, in the 19th century. And the reason that is that places like Fennessy's Mills, where I'm standing now, this was described as a ruin by the 1890s and one of the, the central reasons for this is something called the Act of Union and the Act of Union had brought Ireland into the United Kingdom in 90, or in 1801 and Irish industry was devastated after that. It had already faced serious problems but the government now, Ireland was ruled from England and the British government obviously naturally favoured in industry in Britain and Irish industry was essentially wound down. So those thousands of people, and I've covered this in some of the famine podcasts, those thousands of people who would have worked in these mills from Kilkenny and the surrounding areas would have found themselves largely unemployed by the time of the famine. Now that just gives you a sense of maybe some of the industrial heritage of Kilkenny. What I want to do now is go up to Kilkenny Castle. And when I'm up at the castle, I'm not actually going to talk about the castle itself, but instead a forgotten grave that's up there, I think that in many ways explains so much about what that castle represented to maybe our great-grandparents and our ancestors before that. I've come from Fennessy's Mills back towards the centre of Kilkenny and I'm now walking into the grounds of Kilkenny Castle and the grounds of the castle are always an interesting place I think because in many ways it summarises the democratisation I suppose of Irish society. In the 19th century this would have been exclusively the preserve of the family of the Marquesses of Ormond 
So the castle was their personal home, but today it's open to the public. And I think in many ways that summarizes a lot of the changes that have happened in Irish society over the last hundred or so years. While I'm here though, I'm not gonna go up to the castle. I've covered the history of the castle. It's in a few episodes now. There is one small grave though, that in many ways summarizes a lot of what I would like to say about this place anyway. The grounds of the castle themselves are pretty expansive. There's actually even a hunting lodge down towards the river. I don't know how many acres they'd cover, but it's, I don't know, certainly dozens, maybe even hundreds. I'm pretty poor at guessing that kind of stuff. I've come to a slight, I suppose what you'd call depression though in the park, that's pretty close to the castle, but can't be seen from the castle. And that's very important given what's here. So the Butler family owned Kilkenny Castle since 1391, and they lived here, this was their primary residence, and they would have lived here. Most of the butlers, though, are buried up in Canis's Cathedral, and there's some beautiful funeral effigies to the Butler family. However, from 18th, the last person buried up there was John Butler, the Marquis of Ormond, who was buried up there in 1854. And after John Butler, the family opened up a funeral plot on the grounds of the castle. But given it was the Victorian era, there's a lot of uh, superstition, obviously, around death. Death is something, in many ways, that's hidden away. It can't be seen, this graveyard can't be seen from the castle. It's in, as I say, a bit of a depression on the, uh, in the castle park, and then it's surrounded by bushes. But I'm just going in now into the grave plot. So basically, there's a Celtic cross, and there's one, two, three, four, eight, nine uh, graves here uh, to different members of the Butler family into the 20th century. There's one here, for example, to the Nan Marchioness of Ormond, born June 1906, died uh, September 1973. So it's relatively contemporary. But there's a tomb that I want to go and see that lies outside the uh, perimeter of the cemetery. And unfortunately, it's actually broken. I've come and seen this loads of times and it's been smashed, but the two pieces of the tomb are here. And I can still read it and it says in loving memory of Sandy and there's a dog's head carved into the tomb that I'm looking at and it says the most devoted and beloved friend and companion for 17 years born at Lockmore April 1895 died June the 4th 1911 and then there's a little tribute or whatever and it says there are men both good and wise who hold that in a future state dumb creatures we have cherished here below shall give us joyous greeting when we pass the golden gate. And in many ways, this is a lovely gesture, isn't it? It's like a, a, the Marcus of Ormond uh, gets his uh, dog a tomb, and the tomb is just outside the perimeter of the cemetery. There's another way, though, I can't help but look at this. I think this is in 1912, two years before the First World War, everything that went with that. I've covered on countless occasions in previous podcasts about the poverty that would have been in Ireland in the early 20th century. And you look at this grave of the dog, there probably, there's people who probably worked in Kilkenny that wouldn't have earned what it cost to make this grave in weeks, months, maybe even a year. And it does in many ways, well, it's a, on one level, a very touching gesture. On another, there's a, it symbolizes the inequality that in many ways Kilkenny Castle itself represents. The castle was a family home with maybe, I don't know, was, is there a hundred rooms in it? Um, in a time where most people lived in tiny houses. The grave of a dog 
worth more than most people's incomes at the time also summarizes that. The next stop is, I'm going to go back now further a few centuries, I'm going to go down into Kilkenny City itself and we're going to talk a little bit about the medieval history because I think that's what most people would associate with Kilkenny. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewellery. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewellery of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com.BlueNile.com.BlueNile.com.BlueNile.com.BlueNile.com.BlueNile.com.BlueNile.com.BlueNile.com.BlueNile.com.BlueNile.com.BlueNile.com.BlueNile.com.BlueN
things like the different languages that you would have heard if you'd come to medieval Kilkenny, say, as we said, in the year 1300, um, but also maybe how vibrant it was and at times how raucous it was. Because, as I say, so what I'm going to do is put that on. You can listen to this while I'll make my way down to a medieval building and we're going to talk about probably the most famous event and one that uh, echoes into our present uh, dilemmas that we face today and we're going to talk about the Black Death. I've made my way through those medieval streets and I've come onto Parliament Street now. I'm just about to turn off Parliament Street down something called the Ring. And directly ahead of me now, there's a famous gate in Kilkenny. And over that gate it says East Smithwick and Sons Limited. This is the famous St Francis's Brewery in Kilkenny where Smithwick's was brewed from the early 1700s. It closed recently enough and the brewery is currently being redeveloped. But I haven't come here to talk about the history of the brewery. I want to talk about St Francis's Friary where the brewery got its name. Long before there was ever a Smithwick's brewery on this site, the Franciscan Order had established a Franciscan Friary in the heart of medieval Kilkenny now this would become famous particularly in the later Middle Ages during the Black Death. So the Black Death affected Ireland in the late 1340s. It arrived in Kilkenny in uh, about Christmas 1348. And at the time, the guardian of St. Francis's Friary was a man called John Clin. Now John Clin was from a place called Clinstown, just outside Kilkenny. But as guardian, he had been keeping a chronicle of life in Kilkenny from at least the 1330s where he noted down what were memorable events. A lot of it is very local politics, things like that. But when the Black Death arrived in Kilkenny, he would write one of the most famous accounts of his experience of the Great Plague, which hit Kilkenny, as I say, in December 1348, and would have lasted then into the following summer. Now, you're about to hear some of his words about the plague, and they are truly chilling in many ways. When you look back and think of what he was experiencing, genuinely thinking, the end of the world had arrived and uncertain whether anyone would survive. It's worth bearing in mind the mortality rate in the Great Plague was truly horrific. You're talking about 30 to 50% of the population dying in the space of six months, creating all these untold problems about how you even bury the dead. So John Clinton's words now will give you a sense of what that was like. While you're listening to his words, I'm going to make my way to the next building, which is going to take us right back to the, around the year 1100. The pestilence gathered strength in Kilkenny during Lent, for between Christmas Day and March 6th, eight friars preachers died. There was scarcely a house in which only one died, but commonly man and wife, with their children and family, going one way, namely crossing unto death. Now I, Friar John Clin, having written these noteworthy deeds that happened in my time, and lest the writing should perish with the writer, I am leaving parchment for the work to continue, if by chance, in the future, a man should remain surviving, and anyone of the race of Adam should be able to escape this plague. I've reached the northern end of the original medieval city of Kilkenny, and I'm making my way up a set of stone steps. At the top of the steps is Kilkenny's St. Canice's Cathedral, which was built in the early 13th century. This is um, 
constructed by the Normans after the Norman conquest of Ireland. But I want to talk about one specific structure on the site of St. Canis' Cathedral. Just to give you a sense now, it's hard to make out today, but St. Canis' Cathedral is actually built on a rocky outcrop. So it's on quite high land in the in Kilkenny's landscape. But the building I want to talk about here is actually the Round Tower, which is right beside the cathedral, but looks almost somewhat out of space. Round Towers are very narrow, very tall towers, and they're found at monastic sites in Ireland. Now the interpretation of the history of them is changing. Previously, they were thought to be a defensive structure that during the period of Viking attacks, monks would be able to retreat into uh, these round towers and stay there while the Vikings would have maybe sacked the monastery. And certainly we do know that uh, there was a structures or there's a monastic site here from the 6th or 7th century. So you're talking back around the year 700, where I am now, there was the earliest sites associated, I suppose, with the settlement of Kilkenny. Now the round tower though is much later and it doesn't, that idea I previously mentioned that it would be a refuge against Viking attack, on one level it makes lots of sense because the River Nore, which I've talked about lots of times throughout the podcast, is very close to here and you could imagine maybe Vikings which had a large settlement at Waterford could come up the river, attack the monastery. But the timeline of the round tower doesn't really fit that. So the round tower probably dates to the early 12th century that's around the year 1100 and it's thought now that this was actually uh, put here I suppose as a landmark so in 1111 at the Synod of Rathbrazel Kilkenny was made the centre or the ecclesiastical centre of the Diocese of Austria and that was a very important part in terms of the story of Kilkenny and it becoming a very important place in the landscape and as part of marking that, that this was becoming a very important religious uh, landscape, it's thought that maybe that's why the Round Tower was built, because they don't really have uh, much of a defensive uh, structure to them. Because even though they are a tower, if you retreat inside that, the most logical thing that would happen is that the Vikings would just set the tower on fire and then it actually becomes a natural chimney. And now it's thought that they were much more symbolic, that they were this huge uh, tower reaching up into the landscape at a time where most buildings would have been one, maybe two stories tall. This would have been visible for miles around. And as I said, it's built on a rocky outcrop and that this would have given, um, I suppose, prestige to the site. Now, this is as far back into history as we're going to go. Our interpretation even of structures at this time gets hazier and hazier as we go back. We don't know who built this. We can only guess as to why they built it. That is because now, as I say, we're back at the year 1100. I want to start moving back towards the present. That's going to take me across the River Nor onto the east bank of the river. Over there, I'm going to stop at a cemetery. I'm going to stop at a very, very early hospital. Not the type of place you want to find yourself. I'm going to finish then in a graveyard at the grave of a man who I think is a forgotten hero of Kilkenny. This stop is going to be a quick one. You might be able to hear the city is starting to come to life. I started recording this about half seven when everything was really quiet and the city is starting to come to life. And I'm on a bit of a busy street here. But I'm walking past something called St. Maul's Graveyard in uh, Kilkenny. And I find this graveyard a really interesting place. So the history of the famine is something that I always think always present in Irish society, but never to the fore. It's just, I suppose, almost like a shadow, even in the 21st century. It's still there everywhere, always around us. And I think St. Maul's Cemetery is a place that often reminds me of that. 
So the cemetery today is largely forgotten. It's always locked. There's a high wall around it. But inside the high wall, the ground rises up on all sides. So there's a house on either side of it, and the ground is on street level there. But the cemetery itself, I'm guessing, is 15 metres high. It's quite a high mound. And part of that high mound is actually human remains that over the centuries it has slowly increased in size and obviously part of those bodies date back to the famine it was actually in the early years of the famine the workhouse burials were brought down here the workhouse is not actually far away from here it's about 200 meters away but the workhouse burials were brought down here and buried at St Mall's and eventually there was complaints for several reasons the graveyard was filling up but also uh, some people in the city felt it was unsightly to have paupers burials making their way through the great through the city streets anyway from late 1846 or early 1847 i can't remember the precise date they started to uh, bury the workhouse dead in a large plot at the back of the workhouse and in 2001 they discovered 970 bodies dating from the famine period in here but just saint Mauls is just somewhere that always reminds me of the famine dead in kilkenny they're not the only people buried in there of course there's people, I don't know how many centuries the, the graveyard goes back, centuries and centuries of human remains are buried in there. But it does remind me every time I walk past that that is part of the story and certainly was part of the story about how it went through a period of rapid use, I suppose, in 1846 um, as the workhouse uh, deaths started to increase and then they were being brought down here. And next I want to go on to a hospital it's called it's on what's called Madeline Street in Kilkenny I'm making my way along Magdalen Street in Kilkenny and this is not too far from what was a medieval suburb of Kilkenny St John's so the medieval city was largely located on the west bank of the river Nore but St John's and the modern hospital are located on the east bank now this hospital, and I use that term lightly, was opened in around the 14th century. Now the term hospital is certainly very different from what we understand it today. In the Middle Ages, understandings of health and healthcare was very, very basic. It, most of the time it was um, completely inaccurate and actually allowing <laughs> what, what was called a doctor at the time to treat you was potentially, uh, sometimes the cure was even worse than the disease itself. This hospital was probably opened up though to treat lepers and again maybe in a similar way to what I talked about when I was up at the um, asylum at the start. This is as much about keeping people with leprosy away from the wider population than uh, actually any effective treatment. There was no effective treatment of leprosy. Just to explain this building to you it's very much the one that the surviving building which doesn't date from the 14th century. I would imagine at a guess it's from the 15th or 16th century it's very much like a tower house there's hundreds if not thousands of tower houses across Ireland it was a pretty standard I suppose building at the time it has one two three four floors and then would have had a wall walk on top and it may have actually been used as part of the city defences as well um, just given the nature of it there's no comfort in this building and again this comes back to the idea that possibly you know, it's more really about keeping lepers who are considered a threat to society away from wider society than necessarily helping them. There's no treatment for leprosy at the time. Also, it's a really sad aspect of 
uh, the history of how lepers were treated in Ireland as well. One, how the lepers themselves were treated, but two, was often people with just skin diseases were considered to be lepers and they were subjected then to the same treatment, which was essentially a social death, for want of a better word. If you contracted leprosy, there was actually a religious service, which is almost like a funeral that a person could go through, where in many ways the, that aspect of your life was over. So people in that hospital would, would very much know the term to be treated like a leper is to be treated like a pariah or whatever. And it is a very good basis in reality. Now, right behind uh, the Marden Street Hospital, this brings us to the last stop. And this is one of my favourite places in Kilkenny. Uh, it's a graveyard. I don't think it's used that much today. There's still space for further graves, but there's a new graveyard not far from here where... Um, burials take place today and this graveyard is really um, I suppose it's almost like something uh, out of a gothic horror film there's graves that are all falling all over each other it's kind of if I explain it it's almost like the graves just grew up from seeds that someone threw uh, seeds into the grass one day and the graves grew up there's no it seems to be almost no plan they're all aligned in, in different directions now in here there's one particular grave that I want to go and see um, and I'm going to make my way through the cemetery here. So all the graves face east, except for three graves, which have just passed there now, and they all face west, and they are actually the graves of priests. And that's a tradition that's generally followed, that the priests will face the opposite direction, the graves of priests, rather, face the opposite direction to those of their parishioners, the idea being that on the last day, when uh, people are resurrected, that the priest is facing the flock. But anyway, I'm making my way down now and I'm looking for this grave. I had to cut out about five minutes of silence as I wandered around the graveyard trying to find the grave, but I finally have. And it's a beautiful stone cross, a Celtic stone cross, and then a stone slab that lies over the actual plot itself. Sadly, the stone slab is broken now into four places. A lot of the tombs in this graveyard are falling over. It's in really poor shape. But this grave is to a man called Robert Kane, And Robert Kane died, as his tomb says, on the 17th of August, 1858. And it says, rest in peace. This tomb was only erected sometime after his death. And the actual inscription on his tomb says this, that the people of Kilkenny got together and that they wanted to acknowledge this man who had been such an important figure in the city. So Robert Kane was famous in Kilkenny. He'd been a mayor of the city, I think on two occasions, certainly in 1849. He was the first Catholic mayor of Kilkenny. He was also a very famous um, patriot in the 1840s. He had uh, been a member or a very close supporter of the Young Ireland movement. Even though he didn't participate in the rising of 1848, he was imprisoned afterwards because he was considered a very dangerous person by the British authorities. What really interests me though about Robert Kane is his what he did during the famine. Robert Kane was a quite an extraordinary man in my mind. He spent a huge amount of time working in the workhouse, which was across the road from where he's buried. And this is not mentioned on his grave at all. And to a certain degree, I think his services in the workhouse wouldn't have been seen as important maybe as other things. But I think this man probably saved untold lives during the famine. So he worked in the workhouse from 80... He was one of the workhouse doctors um, until he went to prison in 1848. But he was also a person who really campaigned for the rights of the children in the workhouse who were treated appallingly at certain times during the famine. And Robert Kane, through that uh, time, 
uh, really emerges as what I would call a famine hero. And I, I've actually made a podcast that's available on Patreon about Robert Kane because I think a lot of the times during the famine, we focus on narratives about people who are either villains or victims, I suppose, is the way the narrative goes, isn't it? It's either landlords who evicted loads of people um, or people who were forced to emigrate. And there's no room in that narrative for people who tried to do good. And I think there's lots of those stories there. But I think Robert Kane in Kilkenny is one of those people and deserves to be met, remembered as such. Um, and his tombstone now is definitely fading into obscurity. As I said, the stone itself is cracked. Um, and looking around the grave, I can see what's going to happen because there's um, another tomb very similar to this where the whole Celtic cross has collapsed over. Um, and then there's other ones where they're starting to subside. So if something isn't done soon for Robert Kane's grave, he will be totally forgotten. Um, because I guess it is that thing, once the grave goes, there's no marker to this man in the city. And as I say, he did quite extraordinary things during the famine. Had he not been one of the workhouse doctors, I think the already appalling rate of mortality in the workhouse would have been a lot worse. But he spent... Uh, huge amounts of time in there in what was very dangerous conditions as well and he actually got i can't remember was it typhus or typhoid from working in the workhouse he survived it but he did contract that disease so there's no question he was paid but it was extremely dangerous work and he is a man that deserves to be to be remembered in the city this is where i'm going to bring the podcast to a close and I'm getting hungry. I haven't had my breakfast yet, but as I say, I came out early to try and avoid the traffic. I hope you enjoyed this podcast, folks. It's a bit of a introduction into what I see uh, in Kilkenny when I'm doing my 2K walk. It gives you a sense of some of the history of the city and how history isn't necessarily all about dates. Hopefully that came across as well, that maybe it's more about places, people, landscapes. I'll be back next week with a new episode. In the meantime, I hope you all stay safe. Until then, Sloan. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.